the person you'll learn the most from is your client. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Yep, you heard it right. An eating disorders residency for registered dietitians, probably the first ever and hopefully the first of many to come. Jill Sakey is a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor, and she's a fierce advocate for supervision and training in a multidisciplinary way. She talks in in this episode about the importance of committing to long-term supervision, and you'll hear that her expectations are high, and I really appreciate that. Check out the episode 15 with Molly Kellogg if you want a little more about the difference between case consultation and supervision. Jill says that the best way to learn is working with a team and not from a book, but yeah, from a book. But then when you're working side by side with a supervisor and they are helping you um, with that particular client and their concerns, and then you go back to the book, it all then pulls together. We also, she reminded us how important the therapeutic alliance is. We are taught to be the expert, but our client's the expert. We just have to let them know they're the most important thing in this work and working with the therapist and the multidisciplinary team is just critical. She does have this residency and now has a clinic for those in Houston, Texas area who are without insurance and who are low income. It's called Restored and the information is in the show notes and that's also some of the trailblazing but she just does. This is part of Jill Sakey. And finally, I do need to say that Google searches on emotional eating bring up only how to avoid it. So there's an RD on Jill's team that who created this fantastic, short, cute video on how to embrace emotional eating. We all do it and there's nothing wrong with it. I hope you enjoy this episode with Jill. Today we have Jill Sakey with us. How are you, Jill? Great. Thank you very much. So glad to be here. We are really glad. And you are in, where are you? Houston? Area? Houston, Texas, but actually Katy, Texas, which is outside of Houston, but we just call it Houston in general because people don't really understand where Katy is. I, I understand. <laughs> I work on the outside of Kansas City and I'm actually doing this with you today from Baltimore, Maryland. So I'm at a friend's house and I can work from anywhere. Awesome. I I think that people now know where Katy, Texas is. It's in a, a very popular rap song right now. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> it must be yeah. is it someone, some person from Houston. <laughs> I think so. It's, it's a Drake song and he's, he says Katie Texas in it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm going to look that one up. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> See, this yeah. is why we have Abby. She can keep <laughs> us up to date. Hey, uh, I rap. I've got a kid that plays basketball and that's what I grew up with as he played. He's 80. probably heard it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to ask him. I'm like, oh, we know that 
All right. Well, Abby, you go ahead. We've got a few icebreakers for you, and then we're going to get into getting to know you, Jill, and what, how you got into the field and how you learned what you've learned and how you teach what you teach and how you stay current. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. So our first question, our first little icebreaker is mountains or beach? Oh, beach for sure. So I love, love being on the beach. (laughs) My family doesn't, I just, you know, just hear the waves and the quietness in the morning. That's, I love to get out before everyone gets out in the hot and heat and be able to get in the water. So that's my favorite. Uh, that sounds great. I think I'll retire in Colorado. That's all I'll be going. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I'll go visit the beach. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, and then breakfast or dinner? Very much a breakfast person. Love breakfast food. I don't understand when I meet clients that eat pizza for dinner and lasagna. <laughs> I, I just not in agree. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> it they is. People, so <laughs> you answered that pretty quickly. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you knew that about oh, yeah. yourself. And then audiobook or paper book? Oh, very much paper. I like to highlight, tag stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Audio just I, I get lost. I can't find my page. I can I can put little fun little uh colored papers in there and mark stuff. So and yeah. I'm very visual. So I I if I remember kind of it was the front of the book or the back of the book, I like I can kind of go back to that place. So I, I think audio book is a little bit more challenging. Yeah. But it's okay. fun on a nice walk if you don't have time to read. That's I think what I like is the podcasts or audio books is if yeah. you're out either running errands or on a walk or um just whatever, it's easy to carry with you. Yeah, and that, this is when I listen to podcasts. You know, on the yeah. weekdays I I listen to educational ones and the weekends I listen to something fun like cereal. Oh, or something. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to take you back and then hopefully not too traumatizing to ask this question, but back to your registered dietitian, right? Yes. And back to exam day when you, what do you remember? Was it a number two pencil or a keyboard? Oh, bath. I've been in the field 25 years. Yep. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> Paper bubbles. Yep. <laughs> Having four pencils and under mechanical had to have them sharpened. Exactly. It was, uh, it was in a testing center, I think at the university of Houston and it was about four or five hours long. And, you know, I just remember sitting in the, in the parking lot, kind of trying to cram in the last bit of biochemistry, you know, no, nothing that I studied was on the exam type of thing. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, you know, and just, you know, scratch, you know, um, erasing out those bubbles and going back that type of thing. But, yeah. you know, my, my uh, GR, is it, um, GRE, is that the educational, the uh, advanced master's graduate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was computer-based. So that was really, I thought it was a lot harder to do that because I couldn't, yeah. couldn't go back, but yeah. I haven't tested in a long time. So that was 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had the same thing. And even when you're <clears throat> saying bubbles, I don't know that Abby maybe knows or understands what we're even talking about. Oh yes. Yeah. I've done the bubbles before. It's terrible. It's awful. I hate it. And like my little OCD, if there's just a little hair outside of the bubble, get it. Yeah. You don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Right. But that's, that is what's tough about the, the test on the computer is you set your answer and that's it. You're done. You you can't go back. And so like, Oh, it's anxiety with each answer. Right. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> well, what, what I would really like to know, you have been in the field a long time and you know, what made you interested? How did you get, how did 
to become a dietitian? And how did you get into the world of eating disorders? Oh gosh, that's a, a long story. But I think, you know, my dad is a veterinarian. And so I grew up in quite a lot of, and I'm sorry, the AC just turned on in here. <laughs> so I, I didn't hear it. Um, I know that sometimes everything gets picked up, but Anyway, I, my dad's a veterinarian, so science was always pushed, you know, kind of not the creative arts piece. I, I, I love art and drawing and, and that type of thing. I'm not any artist by all means, but I, I love the creative arts piece, but I was very much pushed towards science. And my mother was a teacher. So I remember going in her classroom, kind of watching, you know, putting up her boards and watching her teach and all that kind of stuff. So, so I think they both influenced me in their own way, but they very much valued school and education, that type of thing. So I remember in high school, I was able not to take any physics because I just, my brain does not think in that way. <laughs> so I remember looking at the Texas A&M catalog, trying to find some type of major that did not have physics in it. <laughs> that was science oriented and uh, <laughs> nutritional science. And back then it was called scientific nutrition at A&M. They, they've changed it now that I was like, oh, I can, I can do nutrition. And I have to say my mom was kind of like chronically on a diet and, you know, that type of thing. So I, I think you know, and she loved to cook and entertain. I mean, we'd have these spreads of, of items out and, you know, all that she'd plan and polish her silver and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I love to cook and, 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 you know, prepare food. So a lot of times when my, I was the youngest of three. And so I was, uh, you know, towards my junior and senior year, I'd be the one cooking dinner for the family and all that. So anyway, I, I chose, I went to A&M because my dad went there, Texas A&M University in College Station. And so I, I really didn't have an option. I tell people, <laughs> like, that's the only place I applied. So, um, so went there and um, decided that that would be a great science option and started taking nutrition classes. So obviously the very basics and then started to fall in love when you get more in the more advanced level, those types of things. So, um, and it really helped kind of formulate and help me understand the function of the body, those types of things. A lot of the damaging things my mom would do with dieting those types of things uh, was able to, and that's where I think the science versus it's a, it's a science versus an opinion came up. I remember speaking at a smash talk with, I think uh, Southern smash is the group that they have where they go to different colleges and smash the scale. Um, oh. it's a, I can't remember the Facebook group, but it's a, it's a kind of a nonprofit, I think, but I was asked to speak there at Texas A&M and I remember presenting about that um, to some of the groups and members. So anyway, that's why I chose nutrition <laughs> was because uh, there's and it's science oriented. And my dad was happy that I was taking science or science. <laughs> well, I think it's so interesting to learn about your childhood and you grew up so science-based mm-hmm. um, because clearly that's how you are now. And on your, on your website, your really awesome website that everybody should check out. You have a quote on there even where nutrition is a science, not an opinion. So it's clear that, you know, you were impacted from your childhood and, and now you're producing all the scientific information now. So that's great. Yeah. And I, I think Texas A&M is very much like research-based, you know, I, they don't really, it, most of everything you were required to take is in line with getting your PhD in nutrition so that if you continued on, you would have your basics. So I, I didn't have, a, we didn't want to have a lot of option for, and I don't want to downgrade all these other classes, like fluff classes, things like nutrition counseling or things like that, that I think we really need um, because they're assuming that most people aren't going into the field that I'm in. It would be more science-based and research, biochemistry, genetics, things like that. So 
so that was a little bit frustrating, but I think that that's kind of what formulated my concepts of, you know, having a lot of doubt of what, especially with social media now, really yeah. kind of analyzing it and looking at the research and those types of things. Not that I am amazing at it, but <laughs> I, I, I'm very skeptical when I hear stuff and I want to kind of know what does the research say behind that. Absolutely. And then, so after you became a dietitian, you got into clinical, right? Yeah. So I graduated from Texas A&M and I did not get my first internship. I had to reapply for the, the matching. So I, I got it to Oklahoma and got my degree in, in food management and uh, nutrition and food management was my master's degree, which I, I didn't think was very helpful. Um, it didn't give me more information, but I was able to get my master's and internship at the same time. And then my first job when I got married was in clinical. So I worked in a small hospital here in Houston and kind of focused on the ICUs. So the medical and surgical, and it was, you know, we covered other floors, but that was kind of my jam because I just loved all the science and calculating. Although my husband had to help me calculate TPN. (laughs) 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 He laughs. He's like, okay, draw a picture. (laughs) <laughs> volume. <laughs> I can't remember how to do TPN anymore, but anyway, me neither. So, yeah. So did, so really enjoyed that science-based and interacting kind of in that very clinical setting. And then, um, yeah. And then I think I went into management a little bit and then started having kids. So then did contract work and still fell into kind of contract work within hospitals around town that were growing, um, and, and stayed in the ICUs for some time. That was my what I covered mainly. Um, and then I was able to do pediatric, um, ICU neonatal intensive care and pediatric intensive care at a, a facility here, Ben Taub, which is a kind of a low income hospital, but it's a teaching hospital. And that was phenomenal to be with doctors that were getting their MD that already had their PhD. <laughs> so you're working alongside them, but they would call you and help me do this TPN, <laughs> help me do this. And they were very, they very much wanted your help versus maybe the older physicians that like kind of suburbia hospitals that kind of didn't really value the dietitian as much. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really love that. They do. They knew it all. They didn't need us. Yeah. I <laughs> begged for them to kind of like, please consult me. So I love being there. And um, that's when I kind of got exposed to pediatrics and adolescent nutrition, understanding that that's a whole different game. So yeah. So I, I keep get it going. In, yeah. I mean, how did you get into eating disorders? Oh, it doesn't make sense. It does, yeah, I, I'm still waiting. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, yeah, I did that. And then um, I think someone told me about a program that did weight management at a large hospital here in Houston, and it was outpatient nutrition counseling. I'm like, oh, I love teaching. That's mm-hmm. something that I love to go by the bedside and teach. But I mean, but how much do they absorb? You know, right. Exactly. <laughs> what are you, what are you really doing? So I, I love the teaching aspect. Again, I think I, I gained that from my mom and ended up um, taking that position and it was in a medical weight management program, which was fasting. So it was a, what they call a VLC, very low calorie diet. VLC, oh yeah. VLC. CD. Yeah. yeah. VLCD. 800 calories, you know, <laughs> liquid, high protein shake type of thing. But the uniqueness was it was interdisciplinary. So they had licensed professional counselors, licensed social workers, they did the um, therapy aspect of it. So it was mm-hmm. kind of, we would meet with the, the clients as a dietitian and a therapist and the teach groups together. So one week would be um, 
you know, the therapist talking about relapse prevention and, you know, stress, emotional concerns, and then the dietitian to teach. So, so I got to be there about five to seven, eight years and got to meet with and work with therapists that, you know, sitting and doing, doing dual sessions and learning the language uh, was so phenomenal. And then our manager had us um, learn motivational interviewing. It was, a, it was called Well Co- Coaches back then. It was like a three-month program, I think at least eight hours a week that you're learning. And then you had to do testing and interviews and things like that. So I did that. And then finally, I was teaching a class at U of H for another colleague here in Houston that was teaching, I think, nutrition counseling for non-counselors, for nutrition majors that were non-counselors. And so a therapist and I went and taught, and I taught motivational interviewing, and she taught the difference between that and therapy. So we're teaching this class together, and the dietitian's like, oh, hey, you know, and I was trying to get my private practice going. I think I tried it five times. <laughs> I just couldn't get my footing in the door. I didn't know how to, to do that business aspect. So she invited me to join her practice, and I did not know that it was eating disorders. So I didn't really... <laughs> understand that. So I, I just kind of fell into her practice and I'm like that. I think 95% of her clients that came in were eating disorders. So yeah. So I fell into the, the field that way. Yeah. I learned on my own. <laughs> I just, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And then I, I'm still working and, you know, this weight management and kind of being conflicted. So, so anyway, I moved from that hospital to a bariatric clinic because I was asked to kind of start a very low calorie diet in this bariatric clinic to get them prepared for bariatric surgery, you know, cause they all have to lose weight before they can have surgery and show success. Right. <laughs> that type of thing. So, so I was doing both at the same time and I'm like, this is not working. I just, it was not, I, I just didn't understand what was happening, you know, and this is before health at every size is really strong, those types of things. So, so anyway, I just kind of jumped ship from that program and then just went full throttle into my own private practice eventually. And, um, and then I began then at that point, I think I started getting supervision, which was a game changer for me. And then alongside of that, I joined at PHP and IOP here in Houston, one of the first ones started, um, and now it's eating recovery center. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I could keep going. I mean, my, my history is very long. I have 25 years to talk about here. So <laughs> right, I know, I know so much stuff. <laughs> It's, it's really good and important to highlight when you said you felt conflicted and then you sort of use the terms jump ship, because this is where a lot of people in our field, a lot of professionals, um, find that they start in that kind of work. And then they realize this just doesn't settle well. And when you said supervision was a game changer. And so now I want to definitely talk about that. And I want to make sure that our listeners know how you took this teaching to the next level and what you have now for people. So when you were talking about your undergrad and grad, did they prepare you at all for eating disorders? Oh gosh, no. I think I had, I think it was medical nutrition therapy, maybe that class at A&M that they had maybe a chapter on eating disorders. Exactly. Anorexia bulimia, a little bit of it, but I don't remember any of that. Yeah. So how was supervision a game changer? So I think, you know, I, I, there was a lot of my own learning process. And then I think I, the benefit of being able to work in a multidisciplinary team, even in weight management, and then the PHP IOP was really helpful. 
So I got a lot of colleague peer-to-peer supervision, but um, back then I ended up allowed you to get supervision for every, in, in any discipline you wanted. And so I felt my nutrition was pretty up to par, you know, just my need for really understanding the science piece of it. I delved into the nutrition aspect of, of eating disorders and what's needed, that, that type of thing. But I didn't probably have down the therapeutic modalities and kind of how a dietitian can play a supportive role and be effect, more effective. So my supervisor was uh, Dr. Edward Camilla who was, uh, I think, one of the lead people at Bermuda Ranch back in the day. Um, and I don't know exactly his position, but I, I sought supervision from him for about a year and a half. Um, he required, for every 20 hours, he required one hour of supervision. So kind of more like if, if I was an LPC mm-hmm. or a therapist, <laughs> how they probably require supervision. So I, I literally had it weekly because I think my caseload was probably 30 to 40 people a week almost that I was seeing. It was, wow. I, I don't recommend this. <laughs> <laughs> I am not encouraging that behavior. <laughs> so, but um, no, I had quite a lot. So, you know, just being able to kind of navigate personality disorders or, you know, um, psycho- psychological concerns and how to be a more effective dietitian. Um, really was helpful. So I, I have no doubt my career choices and my exposure to various disciplines uh, or different areas rather of nutrition therapy were invaluable for me. And so I, I definitely encourage individuals that come out of school to maybe get some clinical work and, you know, learn to work in a team environment, those types of things. But um, I think supervision was the biggest thing that really helped and supported me. And plus my colleagues that I just had such great colleagues that really uh, valued the importance of collaboration. Mm, yeah. And you're big on collaboration for <laughs> yeah. sure. This is something I want every eating disorder professional to understand is how important collaboration is. And that's how I got into supervision too, was that really, um, navigating personality disorders. And it was very clear. I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, when you're sitting across from someone who, um, you're taking what they're, um, you don't, you don't understand, um, where they're coming from. No, I remember (laughs) I was so frustrated. We had a a client and a program that I was working in a PHP program, and she would literally avoid my appointments. This, this, this client. And I was so frustrated. And, you know, I was getting support for my team of like, you can't continue in this program unless you see the dietitian. And we just would get these power struggles in session. Mm. And I just was going off with my supervisor. I'm like, oh, I'm so frustrated. <laughs> he's like, stop. He's like, this is not about you. <laughs> this is not about you. Stop. You know, it was just you know, I've worked with him that long. He was really upfront with me. And he's like, we, we, how do we compromise? How do you, how do you get, how do you meet her where she is? You know, that type of thing. And it was just like, oh, you know, and, you know, of course, reading additional stuff on personality stuff and all that. I was like, I just, that really calls to me because I had someone that really pushed me yeah. and really me out, you know? Yes. Just, I mean, I uh, think so. Yeah, because you can read those things. You can read the books. And of course, there were books that were recommended to me back then, um, Walking on Eggshells and I Hate You, Don't Leave Me, um, were the one. But but the supervision is where that person can look right at you and say, this isn't about you. Yeah. How can you meet them where they are? 
You're personalizing this. You're personalizing. Ex- yeah. Okay. Awesome. You don't get this as a dietitian. We're not getting supervision. Like, <laughs> we don't learn about transference and countertransference and all that kind of stuff. So. No, we don't. And, and that's, I think that this pattern of how you have come to be this really awesome eating disorder dietitian is, is kind of common, you know, like we start in maybe this weight management role and maybe we, then we start to realize, oh, this is kind of weird. (laughs) And then you get into eating disorders and you kind of, you know, you mentioned earlier in your career, you were learning the dialogue, but then you get into supervision. And that's, I feel like where the pieces really start to connect. And it's more about like, what questions am I asking and how to respond And this situation happened? And so you can know the dialogue all day, but piecing it together is where that supervision aspect is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and having someone that kind of connects the dots for you. you right. Know? Yeah. Right. You know, pat your back the whole time. Like I think it's really important. So anyway. Right. And I think too, <laughs> Yeah. And super, we're finding too, that supervision is different from um, case consultation. And so that you can have the science um, and case consultation can be, you know, what formulas should I use or how should I prepare this um, note? Um, And then the, the, I just lost my train of thought. Royce, (laughs) you're going to have to cut that out. (laughs) Um, but then the supervision can be, how do you show up in that room as, as a clinician, as a professional, but also a, alongside your client. And it, and it can be, um, I remember some tears that I had in my supervision of like um, being not called out, but having, having my blind spots shown. And that's a growth that you, I just loved supervision. And I've had a few supervisors. I still reach out for supervision today, but. Absolutely. You can never stop learning and growing. Exactly. So Jill, tell us a little bit about your practice. Yeah. So I have a group practice here in Houston or Katy, Texas, and we've got, um, oh gosh, like four or five dietitians that work here, one in a different state. And then also I have a therapist on board. So I have someone who also is a therapist who's a certified resource specialist too. Uh, we do definitely work in the community. So we definitely work for outside trying to make sure we find the best fit for the clinician or for the, the client that you're working with. So, and then I have a personal trainer and then uh, someone who will be doing yoga. And then I have a recovery coach to kind of support the work that dietitian does. So all of those in our relation to uh, teaching and educating. So one of my big things that I try to do my practice is I, I don't take dietetic interns really anymore. I really want to nurture and grow those that are interested in the field of eating disorders or want to go into private practice per se. And so I, I pretty much take on um, individuals that are probably at the end part of their career as a nutrition major and then teach them some of the skills for like recovery coaching. And they may answer my phones and schedule. And, and, and I tell them, and you're answering the phone, you're talking to a very anxious mother or father or someone who's in denial or on the fence of wanting recovery. And so it's a very important skill that you're learning um, to navigate and get them on board to come in for nutrition counseling. So they do that part of it. But then, you know, if we're using food, food logs and things like that, I, I might set goals and that person holds them accountable during the week, does some check-ins daily, you know, so they're 
they're learning kind of how to respond to the client. And I, I had a client that has, you know, the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and she was able to go, you know, I just need more validation. <laughs> I just want to like, you know, every time I get comments from the recovery coach, I just want to throw in the towel because I feel like every, I, I can never be good enough type of thing. And so, and she, she was able to kind of realize what was coming up for her, but I was able to give feedback to the recovery coach of like, okay, how do we incorporate some emotion coaching? <laughs> how do we support this a little bit more? And so that, that way that's a learning curve for that person. Um, but, and then, you know, pushing, getting them to be more pushy, for example, for the recovery coach, instead of just being gentle. And I, I'm like, I don't need you to be a cheerleader. I need you to be an accountability partner. Mm-hmm. So, so do that. And then in terms of dietitians, my practice is growing from having residents in my practice. And so I got that idea from working with another client that was a physical therapist. And she was mentioning she was, she could either go right into the field or she could apply to these three different residency programs in the United States to get more mentorship for a year. And I'm like, Oh, that's fascinating. (laughs) So that's kind of what I modeled my initial residency on was, Hey, come on in here and I'll, I'll support you. And then we'll do education together. And so essentially they, we see clients together when they first come in, we do do dual sessions. So they're observing me counseling in session. And then, then we flip it eventually at four or five weeks, then they start to counsel. And so if it's on zoom or on telehealth, I'll, I'll be writing notes and sending the questions like validate, affirm, (laughs) ask for feedback those types of things. So in the, in the client notes that I'm on on the other end observing and kind of giving feedback. And then we process that or discuss that case afterwards. And I have a huge reading list they have to go through just to be introduced to the different concepts. So yeah, so that's kind of the first six months of the residency. And then they move into kind of beginning to build up their own private practice or their own practice within my Wow, this type of thing. So, isn't this amazing, Abby? I wanted oh, this. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so. I mean, we need to have one of these everywhere. Yes. Every city needs. This. this is so great, and I love that you've got like this really awesome team. It's not just dietitians that are there. You've got you know like a whole thing going on, and you mentioned that you have a personal trainer. I. I think that in the world of eating disorders, we're so sensitive to talk about exercise because it can be abused so easily. So I would love for you to explain how you bring the personal trainer into the picture. Yeah, right now, I would say it's probably more in line with clients that are very avoidant of movement. You know, either they've been chastised for not moving enough or trying hard enough or they're, they're in significant pain from knee issues because they can't get knee surgery until they lose weight, those types of things. So the personal trainer, I would not say is someone who is completely engulfed in eating disorders and understands it yet. He definitely knows what his, his line of information is. So he doesn't ever talk about weight. He doesn't talk about food unless did you have a snack before the workout, that type of thing. So, it, and he's very gentle and it's about, you know, how can you be able to obtain equipment at, at home, like a ball or bands or, you know, whatever it might be so that you can work out at home. Um, and so a big part of it is the, um, accountability piece, but, um, it's just, you know, gentle movement and, uh, being able to kind of strengthen one's body, um, in terms of weight training and things like that. So, uh, we've been, tr- we've been trying to do like COVID hit, but we're trying to do like a mindful walk. We have a trail outside, um, probably a few blocks down from my, my building be able to walk with individuals and things like that, but would love to be, be able to maybe have a dietitian or someone that 
probably has maybe a sports background, you know, and being able to run, you know, kind of, I think of Brian Cook's research on mm-hmm. how to incorporate movement back into when they've had, <clears throat> excuse me, compulsive adhesive movement, you know, how do you get them to go move and, you know, run with them? I think some of the guidelines that he has. So I'd love to kind of go that direction, but it's hard to, to get people to kind of not just see the dietitian or therapist to get them into the ancillary, you know, I think those are equally important outside of like a higher level of care. So, um, so I definitely work with my clinicians about how do you, which is literally a sales job. <laughs> how do you get them to go to add on coaching? How do you get people to add on a group? Mm-hmm. So, um, because sometimes a lot of that's very organic, um, and not as, it's not, you don't, sometimes it's not highly referred by the public, you know, within the community sometimes. So. Right. I think that we, we also were, you were talking about a physical therapist and that they can be so integral in eating disorders care. And that's another ancillary um, program or uh, professional that they can benefit from, but it is hard. Sometimes it's hard to get someone to go to see a therapist because if, if you're a dietitian, they're coming to you thinking that if you just give me the right meal plan, everything will be fine. Um, and then we cannot and should not um, be working with someone with an eating disorder without um, therapy on board and oftentimes medical. So what is the line between your recovery coach? What, what, uh, because this is someone who may be um, finishing up their nutrition degree and what a dietitian would do. Yeah, I, they definitely are ones that are checking the goals that the, the me that as a clinician and the client established in session. So okay, I want to be eating three meals a day, you know, like to say the rule of threes or mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. I need you to get some produce in, or I need you to get some fun foods in, whatever those goals are. And so they're just making sure that they're probably you know, in, for example, we're about to add on another client that's focused on ERP exposure response prevention kind of concepts. And so, um, you know, so that they're able to write out their anxiety before and after and be able to have accountability and just know that someone's looking to see what they're doing um, because they're not in a higher level of care where you have three or four contacts per week. You know, you need mm-hmm. some type of accountability during the week. And I don't have the time as a dietitian. I see, I do this residency program. I see clients. I mean, I would love yeah. to do this meal logs, but I, I would probably add, I think it's really important to utilize individuals like this because you're going to burn yourself out as a clinician. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see all the time with my clinicians that come in on board is they want to do everything <laughs> for the client. They, they want to, they go full 60 minutes instead of 50, you know, they don't have a bathroom break, all those types of things. So I, I digress, but <laughs> it's really, that's important. actually not digressing. It's so <laughs> important because this is for, and, and I think we know that eating disorders have increased. Um, I think 60% is the last that, uh, that I heard through the pandemic, yeah. we, um, I personally can't take any new clients. It's been about eight weeks since I could take new clients. And I think that we do need that self-care. So it's not digressing. It's really giving yourself the important breaks that you need, not going up until the last minute. So that then you move right into the next one. Cause then you're not, you're not good for yourself or for others. Especially when I think newer clinicians, they, that compartmentalization of their emotions, it's harder. Mm. You know, I, I've learned to, <laughs> to 
just shut it off and, you know, kind of go to the next one. I, I could have had a huge fight with my husband. People would never know, you know, I might yeah. be a little bit more irritable in session. <laughs> I'm yeah. pretty good at like shutting my emotions off or, you know, being able to hold space for that. And that's yeah. how much of a skill that is. And so when you're not giving yourself and I, but I'm human, you know, just because I can do it doesn't mean it's healthy for me. I end up drinking too many glasses of wine when I get home. (laughs) (laughs) Relaxing. Well, well, and Beth, to your point, you, and you said you can't take any more clients. You're booked, you're filled. And I think that's the biggest thing right now is everywhere we're so filled. And Jill, I know you're in Houston. I'm in Dallas. And so everywhere in Texas is filled. You're on a wait list for weeks and weeks when they really need this you know, serious treatment. And it's, it's sad and it's frustrating, but it always makes me wonder what can we be doing up front? How can we prevent, you know, them from even getting in this position? So it's probably going to be, you know, other healthcare professionals getting on board too. Like, what are we saying in the doctor's office? What is the pediatrician saying, you know, here and there, how can we all reframe our dialogue so that, you a really serious eating disorder patient doesn't have to be on a six week wait list type of deal so that the 60% comes down all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, utilizing like treatments like emotion coaching or family based yeah. treatment, you know, you can, you can literally create a little bit of an IOP on an outpatient basis. If you really utilize other professionals, you know, that are trained obviously. And yeah. so, I mean, not everyone maybe has the benefit of having that in house. Yeah. You know, that's something to consider that, you know, if we train students that, and I, I think with the internships in particular, they are requiring um, that you have work experience. And so just being a front desk person is not work experience. And so mm-hmm. anyone that's coming on board here is a recovery coach. That's what you're learning so that you have a year's worth of experience if they're taking a gap year before they apply for their internship. So, um, and I, I had one clinician that said, I've learned more being... <laughs> what did she say? I, I learned more of my residency than I did two years in a higher level of care being a dietetic. Absolutely. So I was like, Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> it was good. I mean, she worked hard. I mean, it's not, I, but I, I think the concept of like, you know, she's like, I think I learned how to really, you know, wash dishes really well. <laughs> exactly. So, stuff, so yeah. Is your residency two years? Is that what you I was a year long. And so, but I've condensed it to six months so that okay. they're doing a lot. Um, I, I literally pay them full time. They're a salaried person for a certain period of time. And then I support them with my skill level to keep clients and get them engaged mm-hmm. and then build their practice up that direction. But they're required to do reading. You know, I would say at least probably 20 hours a week of reading and then kind of processing it a lot. So, so my, my deal is like, you know, I'm, I'm going to take the risk up front because I value you and I value education. I'm going to put my money where I feel like uh, my values are. And, you know, hopefully, you know, they stick around (laughs) so that I can kind of recoup that, that, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say a loss, but recoup what I invested Mm -hmm. with uh, that. It, it it comes out fourfold. You know, it's kind of, what do they call compound interest? <laughs> Why you need to make sure that you're saving and all that kind of stuff. So, yes. <laughs> but, um, anyway. yeah. And are you taking, I mean, is this something that we can promote here or would that be, I mean, do you take one a year? I am working on getting other clinicians that are certified in sort of specials to help 
with the supervision process. So currently I really value the importance of having different supervisors. So, you know, after they've had me for six months, they switched to another supervisor that I hire in my practice to supervise them. Um, someone that's been, has probably more experience than I do. Um, and just is very, um, a very respected clinician here in Houston. And so, um, so they kind of take over the super, supervi- supervisory responsibility, but um, she, uh, the clinician's like, oh, I thought there was only one way of doing things. I'm like, no, okay. <laughs> there's not, there's 15 ways to skin a cat. You know, <laughs> we're going to find different methods and they're like, you know, so it's just fascinating to see the differences, but anyway, so I need to kind of clear up my schedule because the intensity with me of being in session, it requires a lot of that time. Like I, I think, I don't know if I expressed here in the podcast or before we were talking, you know, when I teaching, it's like playing a tennis game, but when I finish, right. When I counsel, they're observing that. And then when I'm done, I literally tell them how I play the game. And that's that, that mind space is really, really challenging. So, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to take on a couple every six months or so, but the most important thing is that they can build to be able to feel like they can function mm-hmm. uh, financially as an outpatient pr- practitioner, because I think that's a big issue is that if you're not salaried, you know, yeah. most of the time it's commission-based of some sort. And so I want to make sure that they feel like they have their skill level in order to keep clientele. I know I have a business coming in, but I, I tell them your ability to, s- to sustain private practice is your ability to retain clients, you know? Yeah, so, sure. uh, so it's that whole Thing. So it's a work in progress, but mm-hmm. I hope to take on more as if people are interested in learning. So, yeah, I mean, literally, if somebody came out of your residency and and moved to my area, I would scoop them up if they wanted a job in eating disorders because they have had that oversight. They've had um, the readings, the 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 they're sitting with you uh, with new clients. They've done maybe the recovery coaching as they were first coming in. Oh, this is a beautiful, beautiful training program. Now this is for dietitians, right? Mm-hmm. And then they probably get some supervision with therapy. Yeah. So after they've had um, at least a year of, I require weekly supervision for three years. Like if they're going to be my practice this long and I pay for it, like <laughs> you're going to get for me, I'm paying for it. So, so that's their value of being here that, you know, I may not offer a 401k, but I do offer supervision and it's, it's valued a lot for me. Yeah. So, but after a year then I want them to switch to a therapist to, to finish that up. And it, they, you know, they made, I would say they may do weekly for a few years and then go to every other week or something like that. But I feel like you just always need supervision and that support, that ability to connect. So, um, so yeah, so I think, some of the uh, residents that are now dietitians practicing have been getting supervision weekly for almost two years now. And they, you know, it's amazing to see the, the how in depth they get, but like, it's not every new case that they talk, okay, this person came in this, this week and next week, you know, it's kind of the, all right, I saw someone, I've been seeing this person six months and then they go into deeper discussion about, you know, binge eating or anorexia, things like that, that aren't the kind of the superficial concepts that they're learning. So it's really amazing to see the growth and development of all of that. So, and then, you know, then we record sometimes the sessions and give feedback, you know, with, and instead of being in the session, okay, let's, let's record. And you kind of, I think therapists probably do that sometimes and give feedback with that. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, yeah, that's, you let that you're, you're really shaping 
these dietitians and these individuals shaping their knowledge in a way that they're going to become such experts and leaders in this eating disorder field. It's incredible what you're producing. Again, we need residencies everywhere. Everywhere. We need to, we need to clone Jill. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'll support whatever you know, we can get to go. So I would love it. If I could, that's what I'm like. I don't have to be famous when I leave my career. I just want to leave a solid footprint. That's, I hope that, you know, even if it's, they barely remember Jill started this concept, but if they, if, if like 20 years down the line, when I'm playing with my grandkids and I see that, you know, the Academy for Nutrition and Dietetics requires a residency program, just like therapists require, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I know I had some, you know, some influence over that a little bit. So, so that's my hope, you know, with this. So it's, it, I love the passion of eating disorders. I will continue to always see clients to keep my feet wet and feel confident in what I'm doing. Yet, I think, I hope my career moves towards more of the supervision part of it, but not, not as traditional as I think, you know, once a week supervision or once a month, it's a little bit more intense and in depth mm-hmm. because I, you know, there's a lot you don't see when you're just doing supervision, when you're in a session and seeing things or really interacting a lot more, there's a lot more guidance and support that person probably needs that they don't realize. So I hope that this is something that will somehow get created. So, so if anyone out there listening, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Hint, hint. <laughs> um, okay, Joe, well, we have a wrap up question for you. And this is something we ask, well, everybody that we interview, but I want to tailor it a little bit for you since you come from a unique background. So going back to when you entered as, you know, in this weight management position uh, in the bariatric unit, all of that, what do you wish you would have known at that point in your career that you do know now? Is there something that you wish you would have done differently? Oh gosh. Um, I, I really think it's the therapeutic, like being able how to talk and mm-hmm. connect the therapeutic alliance, I think is the word, the two words I would use. Okay. Uh, you know, I think is which again, I, I, there's a CBT by Judith Beck that really describes the therapeutic alliance that I, have read and just really understand what that means and how you develop it. The essence of making sure that you always express hope for your clients, that you believe in them, um, unconditional positive regard, those types of things. So, um, because as dietitians were taught to be the expert, which is very much the medical model still, and it just doesn't come off oftentimes by the client as being that they're a human and that everyone deserves respect and support regardless of, you know, they are in that motivation stage or active in the recovery. Um, so I think that's what I wish I had learned. No. And I, and I really think that I learned that from working with therapists and working in a multidisciplinary team. So it wasn't learned from a book. It was from being able to be with a team and learning that concept. And then you read it and you're like, that's what I learned (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Work with a team. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I love it. I don't know it all. I promise. <laughs> Did you say CBT by Judith Beck, B-E-C-K? Yeah, I think her dad is the one that created CBT or like the okay. original research. And so that she wrote a book on that. Um, I was eventually, I was going to, I think <laughs> I, I have a friend of mine that calls me a social work dropout. Um, anyway, I was working on my getting a degree in social work several years ago, long story. Um, I did not complete that, but 
I did get to, to take a class on CBT with um, OCD, that type of thing. And so that was one of the books they recommended to read. So yeah, as a dietitian, make sure you're reading Therapeutic Act and CBT, CBT, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you just, you'll understand and support the therapist and understand how to be more effective without doing, without yeah. crossing the line. without crossing that line. Yeah. We have our scope, but how to talk, how to believe in your client, how to always express hope. And it is interesting. We are promoted through the Academy of nutrition and as the nutrition expert, and it, it does put it separates you from your client is because they're the expert. They are truly the expert in their own body, their own experience. And we, um, by getting that therapeutic Alliance really allows us to help them make the, the, take the steps towards recovery. No, absolutely. I had a, um, a friend of mine, Amanda Holden is, um, and she, she talked about like the person you'll learn the most from is your client. You know, <laughs> that's who you'll learn the most from. So, so true. So true. I love it. Yeah. So just, you know, making sure that you, you listen to them and understand. And I think that's the listening skills and questions so that you really, yeah, we know, I know eating disorders like the back of my hand, <laughs> but I don't know that person. So how do I, how do I bring that person to the room and know that they, they're the most important person. They're the most important concept that we're working towards. So. Yeah. That patient centered care that we hear about all the time for the medical nutrition side, but really getting into counseling. That's great. Love that term. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Jill, where can we find you? What's your website, Instagram handles, all that stuff. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, I have someone doing my Instagram, but it's oh, on my oh. website. So I'll just talk about my website and then you can find on the top left, click there and go. So, um, the, my website is, um, I have an alias because it's easier to find it, but it's www.wcandnt.com. So wellness coaching and nutrition therapy.com. Um, or you can type in jsakeynutritiontherapy.com. That's was my original website. So I have a, an alias that kind of connects there now, but, um, so all my in, Instagram and Facebook, I'm not, you know, we have lots of blog articles, things like that on there. Those are great. Those are really, really yeah, great. Sign Everybody up for Jill's check the blog out. Mm-hmm. So we have clinicians that write fun videos. We do, we have a TikTok uh, dietitians oh, of WCNNT. So we do some fun TikToks and stuff. So, um, so trying to, and that's a lot of work. I just, I just did, you know, sit there and look at individuals that just have so many followers and put so much time into the social media. I just, God bless. I can't do <laughs> I it either. I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to do it, but I, I have somewhat in there. I mean, I, it's kind of, who knows how many people see it or read it, but, but yeah, we have yeah. resources for your clients. If you have any, any questions and, you know, concerns like from insurance staff to how to emotionally eat. <laughs> I love that. I love that little video. It's very short. I've shared it with many clients on how to emotionally eat. It's, it's entertaining, short, fun, and controversial, right? Because so many people think I can't eat emotionally. It's a bad thing to eat emotionally. And it's like, no, let me show you how to eat emotionally. Awareness and mindfulness. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jill. We really appreciate your time and your expertise and this such a unique with the residency program that you have and the, just what you have built there. Thank you for sharing that with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 
Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com professionals.